Hello and welcome to Q&A, Q&A, I can't talk, Q&A Quest episode 250. I'm your uh, host, once again, Addicted to Destiny, my caps, aka Wheels, and with me as always. Uh, remember the deep family fish, David Bernie, Colin Astor. And not really coming up with anything witty to say this time, your man in Japan, Michael Baker, Dajima no Nogatari. I mean, I wouldn't call mine witty, so you're fine. <laughs> Mine is mostly just I, a, like... On your guy's stuff to just wing it, so, um, nothing coming this time. Yeah, for, for me, it's it's more a case of, like, my... The thing I pulled out was a uh, exceptionally, like, rare uh, piece of MGS2 dialogue. So, like, not really witty, just uh, par for the course of... What if I just made a reference to something that has fallen out of most people's brains. That's like a joke. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm pretty sure MGS2 fell in my brain while I was playing it, so... Honestly, the themes of it become more prescient over time. <laughs> that is a game from 2001 during a fairly nation period of the internet that is uh, deeply and heavily concerned with uh, both control of information and people's brains reacting poorly to an overload of information. <laughs> Which, uh, you know, maybe at a point. <laughs> yeah, probably. Most likely. But yeah. Should call this CUNY Quest sponsored by Fireminer. That's a good point, Dan. Good point. Fair point, fair point. But yeah, what have we been playing? Um, well, I did finally finish Atelier Sophie 2. Nice. Um, the point of no return that I mentioned last week was actually a point of past this moment, no side quests will be available. Thing, so, um, it was a good thing I actually just stopped, um, paused for a few days and just finished out everything I could that required a, sec a side quest. Um, but I don't think I'll be going for all the trophies on this one. That's fair. I, I never I do mean, that, but... I mean, one of them requires me to beat the final boss on extra hard, or on very hard difficulty. I'm not sure if that requires me to start the entire game over again or not. <laughs> it might. Yeah, that sounds not fun, so... Um, no, I mean, the game itself is awesome. Fun. Yeah, but playing the entire game again over would be, uh... It's a big ask. For any even a good game yeah especially one that long <laughs> so i mean on a new game plus it'd be considerably shorter because i wouldn't actually have to worry about making anything that's true we're doing a lot of stuff that i was doing like there were um let's see one two three maybe five or six completely optional maps to go through mm -hmm. so i mean this sounds like it's one of the best uh, games in the series in a, in a while, though. It is. Is that true? It is. Which is I'm sh shocking. <laughs> massively, and I make quite a few references to that in the review I'm writing right now. <laughs> it's like, like, yeah, in comparison to its in, to its predecessor, or unlike the first game, or um, yeah, I was like, okay, this actually works. Yeah, it's and just a thing, of, and a thing that sucked in the first game. Ryza, works because it, it's doing a few things better than Ryza and Ryza 2 did. It's pretty impressive this stage. Yeah. 
It's yeah. it's just funny because I remember when it was first announced, we all knew that it wasn't a new game in the Dusk series, and then it's just really good anyway. <laughs> oh, thank you for the sub, Smoking Joe. Oh, I know. Friend that. of the show. Joe of the show, friend of the Joe. I don't know. Yeah. So that's, that's, uh, good, that good that you finished that. It's good that you had a good time. Uh, yep. And I'm sure that we'll be able to read that review soon ish. <laughs> yeah. I just need to actually get it tight and the lane. Yeah. And okay. for a couple of uh, proofreads because this is probably going to be a high score. Um, high score oh, review, yeah. and those tend to require extra validation. Yeah. Now you are the hunted. Just to make sure you really mean it. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I, I assume that's taken up all your gaming time. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I, I haven't actually turned it on for a few days now just to relax. and. Yeah. I get that way after finishing something big. Like, eh, I need some time away from yeah. game. <laughs> well, that, and I've also got a review written up for oh, Shin Megami Tensei 5, so I need to actually go through a second ending just to refresh my brain on why I'm not enjoying it quite as much as Sophie 2. Fair enough. So, um, one of the key points of my conclusion for the Megaton 5 review is you know, once I actually actually finished up everything I could do as a parkour Naruto cosplayer in the ruins of Tokyo <laughs> there really wasn't much else to do <laughs> despite the fact that there was still like half a dungeon and some story to left so I'm like hmm. yeah yeah I'm, I'm good I'd give Megaton 5 um, good props for having a great world to explore and some issues with the plotting, pacing, and, you know, some of the combat. Um. Mm -hmm. What have you been up to, Wheels? Tell us about how Triangle Strategy continues to betray you. Oh god, yes. Uh, so, yeah. It betrays really... you like a, pol like a political... Uh, or like a Byzantine politician. Yes, yes, very much eating crow exactly like all that. the time. <laughs> uh, major characters, or what I thought were major characters, continued to die. And in fact, I randomly pulled up a uh, Final Fantasy streamer who happened to be streaming the game, and was like, oh, that's a spoiler, because that's another character dying. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that game is, uh, that game goes places. There's a lot of death, but it's also extremely good. And um, it's, yeah, it's one of, the, one of the best strategy RPGs out there. Cannot recommend it enough. Please, please do not skip it. Well, I, I kind of downloaded 12 different games with a $50 um, ebook oh, card. It seems like too many. Uh, I mean,. It's it's what I used to do back in the day. Is I take like a thousand yen bill into the used game shop and just see how much I could get with that one thousand yen. Which, um, at the time, a lot of stores were offloading all of their Game Boy Color titles and most of their Game Boy Advance titles. So it was usually quite a few games. Hmm. Um, so it's very similar when you hit the great values section of the e store. 
I mean, I got the stick of truth for 11 bucks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good deal. Yeah. Oh, what was I going to say? I've also started up .hack, which continues to be nice. an, an ageless wonder. It's but, a really pretty game when it's yeah. upscaled. It's a, it's a very nice game. The mechanics are fine. Like, if you plopped someone down and just told them, like, this was, like, a, I'd say, a relatively low-budget title in recent years, um, they, I don't think they'd really be able to make a good argument against that <laughs> i think the only thing that would betray it is how much uh is, is just like the trappings of like how much time clearly went into like all of the like fake message boards and shit yeah yeah but even yeah. then it just sounds like the game itself is still ridiculously topical to the point where you could imagine that it was written last year it's yeah. uh yeah, it's... it was it shows the hand of an experienced and talented sci-fi writer. Yeah. Iron <laughs> no, it's it's very good. The characters are fun and entertaining, and a lot of the characters feel like, oh, I can totally picture like meeting this sort of person in an online RPG. It's exact nerd. Yeah. The, like just how awkward some of the characters are, are seemingly intentionally. Yeah, you you get some of the characters that are just like, oh, you're just. You're just like this exact kind of weird guy. There's like a one you run into that, like, if you if you dig into his backstory, it's like, oh, this is the Hikikomori. He only plays this game. It's all he does. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you'll run into like the the role players, the power gamers, the assholes. It's 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 good for that. Yeah, I mean, if I have a complaint, and it's not. I, I'm enjoying it, so I, I, it's not a big complaint. It's obviously but, not a huge one. No, but the <laughs> combat does take a bit to build up to some more complexity. But Yeah, and thankfully with each part, it gets a bit more complexity. So it's like, that was, that was actually an issue with the original uh, four games, is that like combat kind of was what you see is what you get. Yeah. Uh, and like it, it would reveal more aspects of itself as you got into higher levels and you had certain things that you had to be more careful about but like essentially with with gu like they they got more concerned with like well each game needs to feel slightly more like a sequel so they each they like held back mechanics so that like the game would maintain would grow in complexity as you got through more of it yeah it especially it especially helps in the first one once you get your second class because that suddenly gives you a lot more to be doing in combat yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to stop on over yet. No, it's fine. You you definitely know more about it than I do. But let me tell you about playing through the game the first time, and then going back to it for a hundred percent. The game just the, what it does really well is it just builds up the mystery of like what the hell is going on very well, and <laughs> like drip feeds you information as you go along to to keep you going. So. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to, to digging through this one and finally, finally, finally playing part two. <laughs> Especially because, like, part one ends on a cliffhanger that I'm not sure if you remember. No, I don't. <laughs> That's probably for the best because otherwise it would probably just bother you. Yeah. But yeah, like, that, that was kind of the, the thing 
with GU is that it was their second crack at this and they were kind of better at working out uh, what the... Uh, with, with how, like, they needed to pace these since they were meant to be played serially in such a fashion. So. But, uh, uh... Be sure to... Oh, oh good. I was, was going to say, I do have one more other game to talk about. Oh, do tell. Destiny 2. Of course you do. Uh, so, generally when these expansions come around, it's the same old song of... Well, this is better than the game originally was, but it's still better than before. It's still chasing the tails of Destiny One, and finally they've released an expansion that does something better than Destiny One. Who'd have thought? And that is the campaign is finally very good, and it's not to say that you know some of the campaigns in Two or One weren't uh, very good or anything, but it's just always been a case, the case that the campaign is just like something you run through to get the story, and then you kind of get to, quote-unquote, the real game. Uh, and this wow. time, um, it's true. Uh, especially in the original Destiny, where like before the Taken King, and King, Taken King expansion, um, the story was uh, all over the place. Uh, but... Uh, the story in this one is incredibly interesting and finally takes things forward for the first time in, in a long time. And once you beat it, introduces uh, a new villain that's been hinted at since the original game. So that's kind of big. Uh, but the biggest thing about this is, was the introduction of a legendary difficulty for the campaign, which uh, obviously makes it not only a lot harder, but it gives you a lot better loot, which um, actually cuts down on one of my biggest complaints about Destiny 2, which has been the grind to get up to like the higher ranks has been just tedious and ridiculous so playing through this legendary campaign which is very hard and generally you're going to probably need some other players help to do uh, <clears throat> cuts down on that grind significantly and not only that but actually playing on legendary difficulty was extremely fun and gave gives you kind of the satisfaction that a lot of the harder activities in destiny like raids gener generally do like this is really hard, and when you actually beat it, it's a tremendous feeling of accomplishment. So, um, and now I've reached the quote-unquote part where the game actually begins, and there's lots of activities to do and whatnot. And uh, yeah, it's the first time in a long time that I, I've been actually been excited for that, and not just like annoyed, to be honest. So, let the games uh, begin. After all the turmoil of that this game has gone through, it's finally getting into a better place. So I'm curious to see where they'll go now that they've got a bunch of Sony bucks to work with. And uh, look forward to whatever they do with this disturbing new villain. That's it for me. <laughs> I'll stop.
stop talking about destiny now. Hooray! Destiny, destiny, no escaping, that's for me. Okay. Yeah, uh, I only just got paid, so I haven't had the chance to pick up a new controller, which is what's been keeping me from playing random nonsense. New Switch uh, controller or PS5? Controller? No, no. Uh, a new, a new, uh, a new Xbox controller so that I can uh, play stupid emulated garbage on my PC. Uh, and Persona 4 Arena? Three minutes left. Uh, probably yeah, eventually. Yeah, yeah. Eventually. Listen, I need to get in line behind like KOF 15 and shit. Yeah, that's true. I gotta pick up King of Fighters as well. You need to. Uh, I actually nipped down to the local shop to see if they had uh, Triangle Strategy or uh, or Disco Elysium because they're more of a retro shop, but you know sometimes they'll have something recent. So yeah, I wanted to try to patronize someplace local before going to a big box store. Right? No dice, no dice. Yeah. Yeah, it's time for a fire miner. Uh, I think we had. Uh, <coughs> is there been any news as usually when I check? Oh, yeah. Do we have. Is there news? Well, there is currently talk in the U.S. Congress about abolishing yes. the savings time. Kill it. Or actually, actually the opposite of that. <laughs> technically, because the ch this would happen after it, the law is voted into being and approved, that would actually be in, by November. And then they would just keep the time as it is. So technically, it means that daylight savings time is permanent. Yeah, daylight savings time would become our standard time, the only time. Yes, please. Yeah. Please, and thank you. Which would make things kind of weird with lots of the world before they just go with the flow and get rid over. of it too. Don't let them have it uh. easy. It's one of those things. People hate it. Like it's a very easy populist issue, and it's also one of those things where it's like the more you look at it, the more that it's like this doesn't actually help people that much. So yeah, I mean I that's what the Japan opposite. decided back in the 50s or 60s, and I think it lasted for like five to seven years over here before they just said no. It's dumb. I hate it. <laughs> Everyone hates it. Apparently not, because every time there's been talk of this, all the people that love it want to explain to you why it, you'll regret getting rid of it or something. I don't know. I've definitely I've seen people just like very innocent at the concept that solar noon will not direct one-to-one -one match up with noon, but at the same time, I don't think it ever really does. So it never does. I don't yeah. care. <laughs> Otherwise, you'd have. I mean, that that's half the reason why time zones happened in the first place was to help arrange train schedules across the continent because otherwise 12 noon was five minutes different at each stop yeah so but yeah it's uh that's one of those things like i would just be fine with never having to think about whether the clocks are about that's to shift nice. and how that's going to affect my time zone proximity <sighs> to people who do not have daylight savings ever again so yeah
Um, I don't think there's any game news. My sister's in the chat. Okay. What's up? We should talk about that wrestling RPG. WrestleQuest. WrestleQuest. There was a Microsoft indie event where this was announced. What if the what if a JRPG but you played as Randy Savage? Uh, yes. He's not literally Randy Savage, but he's Randy Savage. Yes, and, I'm all for uh, that. Ooh, yeah, that, yeah, that seems to be the... Yeah. Oh man, I was watching. I was watching one of my favorite Randy Savage promos last week, and man, it is one of the most coked out promos I've ever seen. Which one is that? It's the one where the he he's cream a, of the craft. No, that one's really good, but I I that one's obvious. Uh, this was a promo that he did when Hulk Hogan was feuding with Zeus, aka Tiny Lister. Uh, he so like Zeus is team Zeus is not a wrestler, so he's teamed up with uh the then Macho King Randy Savage, and they have uh Sherry Martell as their. Uh, manager and that promo is insane uh, they have like a like an old school WWF like cage wall behind them that Sherry spends like half of the thing climbing and Macho Man is in full like uh, spinning and talking and just saying like half whispered nonsense and the entire time, like, Zeus is 100% aware that the only thing that he adds to this promo is, like, screaming and peck, and peck flexing. So he is doing that the entire promo. Nice. Like, just randomly starts screaming and, like, just wiggling his pecs the entire time. It's... <laughs> they are... They all seem kind of coked out of their minds. It's incredible. I'm going to put it in our like internal chat so that uh, you may bear witness I should totally play it on stream that's what I should do your metal will be tested guardians begin uh, well you might get like copyright struck with that but uh, yeah uh, let me pull this up I linked it to some friends not Ghost. Let's find it. There we go. Macho King Randy Savage ends his promo. This is from uh, December 23rd, 
Also refers to Hogan fans as pukamaniacs. Nice. With no hold barred rules. Right now, no hold bars, no hold bars matched with no holds bars rules. Right around the point where <laughs> Sherry starts <laughs> climbing the cage, uh, Macho Man starts spinning faster, <laughs> and Zeus just starts screaming even more. It really reaches its zenith. Sorry, I, this, the, the audience does not need to listen to us. Yes, they uh, do. This is incredible. Watch a wrestling promo. <laughs> it's such a good promo. Kenny's <laughs> just, like, screeching. <laughs> He's very excited. Yeah, that's one of my favorite promos I've ever seen. How are they not arrested for uh, drug possession after this? <laughs> well, because they had already taken all of this. <laughs> there was nothing left to possess. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, let's look at some of these things. Uh, first, I want to bring up... Uh, Hold on, let me stop stop this playing so it's not playing over you talking. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you ready? Yeah. Okay, we're good. We're good. Okay. Uh, so so Shaman asked uh, uh, like clarify uh, clarified on a question we asked regarding the why do licensed sports games come out yearly? Question from two forty eight. They have to pay the sports governing body as well, and it's not cheap or written off as a marketing budget. There was some talk recently of EA ditching the FIFA license rather than pay a fee that translates to a billion dollars over four years or a World Cup cycle. To a lesser extent, I suspect this is also why I'm buying MLB The Show on Switch next month and also getting it on Game Pass. That is actually uh, seemingly not uh, Sony's doing. That seems to have been the MLB playing hardball. Yeah. So to speak, I just realized what I was what I just said. But yeah, that was uh, <laughs> there. There are some well very well played. As I have had to explain to more than one high school class, it's hard to avoid the baseball metaphors in American English. It really is. Baseball, basketball, and football, there are way too many metaphors from these games in the English language. If you would like to understand the football metaphors, read Ice Shield 21 and then forget most of it. But, uh... Talking softball, <laughs> no. Uh, but yeah, like... By, by all appearances, the MLB basically uh, demanded that they put that they put MLB the show on other platforms because they were sick of it being confined specifically to one console and limiting its sales. Yeah, so. I mean, to be fair, that's partially their own doing because they gave 2K that exclusive license. Who did they give the exclusive license? It was 2K, So the way right? that, the, at the time, it was not expected that this would be a problem because the way that they had intended to do it was any first party was allowed to make baseball games. Right. And was allowed to negotiate a deal to make baseball games. But that 2K had third-party exclusivity. Then third, then 2K was like, once, there, once the football was gone, they kind of were done. Yeah. Because it was like, that was the thing that they 
had the most money invested in. That was expected to be the crown jewel of their, uh, the uh, of their sort of sports uh, group. And once they couldn't make American football games anymore, they were kind of like they basically treated the rest of the sports division like a dead letter. So and their baseball you games know. sucked. Uh, that was a rocky franchise. Um, yeah. Well, that's but yeah, that's another <laughs> another baseball joke. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Good times. Good times. But yeah, so it was one of those situations where it's like, I fully understand why they did not expect to ever be in the position they were in. It's one of those things where it's like, once you've signed that kind of money, of course you're just going to keep making the baseball games, because like, why wouldn't you? Yeah. But it seems like they just wanted to downsize that group as underperforming entirely, so they just did and then the problem is and the thing that made them pursue this deal rather than another than try to find another was that and this is this is a big issue with uh licensed sports games a lot of the money spent on those like you spend a you have a huge initial outlay like they're tremendously expensive to make the first one of and you write that off by virtue of one it's going to sell really well and two you don't have to make that initial expenditure again. But at this point, it's very hard to find companies willing to make that initial expenditure. Yeah. So, failing to be able to find, like, they, they tried to soldier on with, like, lower budget baseball games. There are some, I think, truly terrible uh, Switch, like, RBI baseball games or some shit. Yeah, those aren't 2K, though. That's... That's those are yeah. made by MLB directly. Yeah, that's what I mean. Oh, like okay, for a yeah. while, they tried to soldier on and yeah. like just do it themselves because it's like we, these markets are big. We don't want to skip these. Yeah. And then eventually, it was like this is expensive. This is not a business we, the MLB, want to be in. Yeah. Why well, do we not just yeah. lean on the partner we have? I think those games were by design a little more arcadey, but obviously. Yeah. You know, you want like a Madden-ish game for your your sport. Yeah, you want the game that represents the sport. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, the EA games were really good, and the MVP ones. Yeah, those Way were really good. And... Yeah, I, I I've talked about this before, but it's fascinating. If you go and look at like a video game mag from like 2001 or so, and you will see like six different companies all releasing games simulate the same sport like there was a period when konami made uh nba games that's there weird. was a there was a period when nintendo had its own like basketball franchise or and of course of course they had a they had baseball games because even when they didn't have the mlb or mlbpa license they had an in to just put ken griffey jr on the cover like that was at a time when putting ken griffey jr on the cover was going to sell a baseball game <laughs> because hey guess who owned the mariners at the time but yeah oh hey look at this comment in our chat what's that ea game is good anthem question mark this is from pew <laughs> of course <laughs> but yeah uh oh this is wrong i need to monitor the rp gamer chat um but yeah like the it's fascinating to read like the like five head-to-head -head reviews of 
a of a football game that I would see uh, every year in uh, official PlayStation magazine, like two thousand two or whatever. Because it's like, oh, yeah, these are there. There are a lot of these, and now a lot of sports they don't exist anymore. Like you, if you look at the history of sports games, it's very fascinating to see what sports are just no longer considered worth bothering to simulate at all. Yeah. Uh, there was a period when EA would release a new NASCAR game every year. That doesn't happen anymore. Rolling start. They had competitors in that <coughs> arena that would specifically, like, I remember there was, like, there's NASCAR Thunder, and I don't even remember who published this, but there was a company that made something called, like, NASCAR Heat, and, like, they were fucking calling EA out in their ads. It's like, this is the game that quiets the thunder. And it's like, oh, wow. Wow. It's like, imagine having, like, a rivalry over NASCAR games. I Those things imagine. that no one makes anymore. <laughs> uh, but, like, th- this is also true of, like, uh, the the desperate attempts to make consistent franchises in sports that uh, we don't see in America that often, that, like, are very come and go, as far as I can tell, even in their homes. Uh, so, like, I once watched a YouTube video that was just someone explaining the history of games uh, designed to simulate Australian rules football. <laughs> and that is, like, uh, every few years someone tries it, and they seem to have gotten more consistent recently, but for, like, a very long time, it's like, every few years some random motherfucker would pick up that license. So it's like, here's Creative Assembly, the the... Rome Total War guys, and they have made an Australian rules football game in 1999. <laughs> like that uh, sort of stuff. Has there been any CFL games? Uh, Canadian Football League? Yeah. I don't believe so. I've never seen one. Like, I can't imagine re- that there's any appetite to release a game in Canada but not the US, which is probably part yeah. of it. Uh,. There's a very brief period where someone tried making an arena football league game. <laughs> if anyone remembers that uh, Doom Adventure. What was this called? Uh, or who made this? Oh, it was actually... This was the period when, I believe, in 2006, EA put out three different gridiron football games. Wow. Because they put out arena football... Because that was apparently an EA thing. And they put out Madden, of course, because Madden. And that was also when they were putting out NCAA football, because they hadn't been sued into oblivion over that. Uh, Turns out that uh, you probably shouldn't put the faces of college players who you have not paid and are not legally allowed to use the likeness of into a football game. Whoops. Can't remember if they got sued for that or if it was just something that got noticed and like around that time they were winding down that franchise anyway, but yeah. Are there college basketball games? Back in the day? Hell yeah. Interesting. You would get get, uh, college basketball games that came out to tie in with March Madness. So... That was uh, that was kind of the the basketball association is really big on cashing in on the people that they can't legally play. Um, <laughs> yeah, 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 they love to find any way they can. It sucks. 
Has there ever been a WNBA game, or do they just... Do, do no they, one has... I believe they... that occasionally you will see WNBA players, like, folded into... I think that those have shown up in a few things where it's like, oh, we also licensed this, and, like, they're in there. But that might also be my brain playing tricks on me. I don't think there's ever been a dedicated WNBA game. Yeah, I think so. Which is a shame. But that's uh, that's AAA marketing for you. But yeah, it's it, like the the contraction of sports games is fascinating to me because it's you know one of the most obvious like shows of how much more like uh, how how much more how much more conservative that companies have become about like what they're willing to put money behind. And, you know, nothing shows that more than your sport is no longer profitable to even attempt to think <laughs> Which is probably quite disappointing if you're big into one of those underrepresented sports. But hey, the people making Australian rules football games will once in a blue moon make a Gaelic rules football uh, simulation. Nice. Release essentially only in Ireland and partly because its rules are actually quite similar to Australian rules football. <laughs> and occasionally you'll also have, or every four years, you'll have the Summer Olympics Nintendo game. Yeah, yeah. And there will be a Mario and Sonic one and then maybe someone else will. Maybe, maybe there will be a normal one, maybe there won't. It's always kind of up in the air with those at this point. But yeah... We're, we're far cry from when uh, companies would release, like, three different simulations of the same sport in the same year. <laughs> there was a period where, uh, similar, FIFA brought this up, so I'll bring up, EA would release uh, a main FIFA game, and then sometimes in the same year, if it was a World Cup year, they would also release a World Cup game that's slightly different. Which, you know... Whatever, respect the hustle, I guess. But yeah, very different, very, very strange to contemplate how much that entire market has uh, shrunk. Oh yeah, I just remembered another one. Like, there used to be boxing games every year. Those mm -hmm. don't happen anymore. You remember the baseball franchise released by 3DO? Oh, High Heat. That was yeah. well liked at the time. It's very, it was very semi. It's very good. Yeah, that was back when that was back when EA was still making triple play, and that that one was reputed to suck ass. <laughs> and then right around when High Heat went away, they re, they did like a huge like rebranding into MVP baseball, and it suddenly became good. It's really good. Really, really, really good. That was also when uh, Midway was doing the thing where they would uh, they they had gotten you know huge returns on nfl blitz because nfl blitz owns uh and so they tried applying that same logic to every other sport they could find and it turns <laughs> out that there are a lot of sports that that doesn't make any sense for. so like they did an nhl version and that makes perfect sense because yeah. it's the nhl it's almost as contact as football at that point then they tried doing it with soccer I don't know whose idea red card soccer was, but that didn't make any sense. And it mostly just meant that you kept slide tackling at people and missing them. 
And then they made the extremely strange MLB Slugfest. Did you ever see this, Wales? No. What the? F no, um, it sounds familiar for some reason, but I never looked at it. Yeah, like that was a game that just encouraged you to be in your opponents. Like that was just like half of the gimmick was you threw an incredibly fast baseball directly at your opponent's head, and now he's basically. I mean, that sounds fun, but it sounds like it would also get old fast. That was generally the consensus, was that, like, as a casual, play this for a bit and then be done with it. It was fine, but, like, if you wanted to play it for any significant length of time, it kind of got boring. Uh, oh, shit. Pew's dad used to work for 3DO. Oh, neat. He's got to test all the games. Sweet. This is, did you play any high-heat baseball back in the day, then? Or did you just play... Uh, Heroes of Might and Magic Quest for the Dragonbone staff. Is that the PS2 game? Uh, it's the PS2 the... and PS1, I believe, but it's two different games. That's weird. Or maybe I, I'm trying to remember. Because, uh, like, there's one of them that is labeled Might and Magic, but is actually a remake of Pink Bounty. <laughs> <laughs> and that was perplexing to me when I found that out. Okay, Quest for the Dragonbone Staff. Okay, yeah, Quest for the Dragonbone Staff is the remake of King's Bounty. <laughs> That's weird. I don't know why. Still have a couple of them unopened. Um, nice. Cool. So probably, uh, considering what retro games are going for these days, those are probably worth a pretty penny. Well, yeah. depending on what they are, I guess. If you can find the buyer. Yeah. <laughs> I played, uh, I, I recently, just to remember what, like, the height of PS1 mediocrity was, I played a bit of Warriors of Might and Magic, which was an uh, action RPG that 3DO made for the PS1. A anytime you look at a 3DO game, you always kind of have to grade it on a curve on the basis that it is known that 3DO was built on the philosophy of uh, low-budget, short turnaround time. And that meant that there was really only so much that a ground-level developer could actually do. Because the game had to be out in six months when loser draws. Hmm. So, like, that's why a lot of 3DO games are just like, why is it like this? It's like, because they didn't have a lot of time to make a choice. <laughs> but, you know, I'm sure I'm sure someone remembers Godai Elemental Forces fondly. I remember that name somehow. I don't remember what the hell it is. I routinely reference it as just like a joke game, but that might not be what you're referring uh, to. Who knows? My brain uh, is weird. But yeah, that was that was a game that was mostly like a proof of concept of the concept of what if you were a ninja with element powers. It's uh, it's not very good. Um, but yeah, like, like that entire. Uh, it's 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 such a weird time. Like that that PS2 era is kind of the end of companies being able to just do what the fuck ever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, and we didn't even get the worst of it. Like, if you compare uh, what Sony America would let through with what Sony Europe would let through, it's night and day how how bad a European PS2 game was allowed to be. Uh, just to just to put it in perspective, please. Uh, I think I've mentioned this before. Go look up the PS2 Home Alone game. <laughs> or don't. Which came out in like 2006, and uh, it's Pac-Man. Oh, 
It's the ugliest game of Pac-Man you've ever seen. Uh, there's a PS2 uh, An American Tale game for some reason. <laughs> well, I mean, that Again. was very popular in Japan, but I don't see it outside being that popular outside of Japan anytime. Well, it only came out in Europe anyway. <laughs> Weird. Sony Europe would approve basically anything as long as it was not pro proven actively destructive to your PS2 to run it. And it produced some truly hellish objects. Uh, if you want to look at what is perhaps the most shameful thing ever released on the PS2 in an official capacity in terms of raw unfinishedness, I would go uh, Google up Skateboard Madness Extreme Edition, which, as I recall, I, I believe the implication was that it was developed in like two or three months. And it sure looks like it. It's uh, almost completely non-functional. Like truly, just it, it's baffling that they were allowed that. Like you see, Sony Europe, Sony America, who gets very protective of what these things need to look like and like what is acceptable to be in a PS2 game. And then you get Sony Europe, who just, like, anything's fine as long as you gave us the money. We don't care. And those are two very different ways to run a platform, I'll put it that way. <laughs> but yeah. So yeah, that's why sports games exist. Um, let's see. We're going to hit some well, fire minor questions. That mm -hmm. is a blockbuster MLB signing. Oh, what happened? Uh, Freddie Freeman is leaving the Braves and signing with the Dodgers. Six years, $162 million. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, imagine never having to worry about money again. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, it's shocking, though, because the Braves just signed somebody else for a ton of money, and he's, like, the face of their team, so I don't know what the hell happened. Uh, he just They just won a World Series with him. Did they run into a salary cap? No. Whoever they just signed, they signed for more than... Or maybe well, not that's more, what I but mean. in that Their ballpark. desire to sign him rushing them up against the salary cap, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Will find their mark. I don't know. I'm shocked. But, yeah. Um, yeah, that's a. Dodgers have a lot of fucking money. <laughs> money, 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 money. Dodgers are spending like the old Yankees, just not winning as much. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out, though, that the people that want them to win are willing to spend until they do. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, but we've got some questions from Fire Miner Sweet. Uh, in the podcast section. Uh, I have some questions about 90s PC, but figure that I should probably leave our host some time to finish that list, especially because my current list already has 238 entries. That's horrifying. And also that's the awesome. final boss. Um, it's the final countdown. 
There are two questions about Strangers of Paradise that you guys may go through quickly before tackling the list. Is Strangers a one-off thing, or will Square Enix lean into software humor in the future? I mean, like, a lot of the games that they've that I've seen from them over the past five or so years have already kind of, like, not as directly as Stranger of Paradise, where, like, it's definitely, like, tongue-in-cheek in a way that I think a lot of people weren't really fully grasping. But, uh... Like, you get a lot of self-aware jokes throughout uh, various parts of FF15. Uh, Kingdom Hearts 3, FF7 Remake, I'm a sh fairly sure certain that it's probably also the case in FF14. Like, they, they've gotten better at integrating jokes into their writing in a way that, like, feels about, a, about the right amount of self-aware for what the audience wants. So, like, I talked about this a few times, but like there was a there was an interview. Uh, let me put this into some perspective. Uh, Kingdom Hearts Three is the only one Nomura ever actually wrote. It's the only one where he's the credited scenarist, and he talked about how he had to double check whether certain characters had ever met before. <laughs> and that is reflected at one point in the script when two of the characters start talking. And one of them points out, I'm not sure we've ever even shared a conversation <laughs> And, you know, like, they, they were, they were, they, or, or the, the infamous gag that Kingdom Hearts 3 starts with a world labeled that is preceded not by Kingdom Hearts 3, but a title screen that says Kingdom Hearts 2.9. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I enjoyed that. And, yeah, that was a great joke. And then, you know, you saw that, then sort of continue that. There are jokes in FF7 Remake that are self-aware in a way that doesn't take you out of the game, but does make it clear that it's like, yeah, it's silly. That's fine. I mean, there's like an entire scene in FF7 Remake where a character is about to reveal something uh, quote-unquote before it happened, before you're supposed to hear about it. Uh, if you if you played the, the original... It, it runs into a situation where it's like, oh, he's about to reveal like a major plot point from the original game long before it is revealed in the original game. And then uh, a new plot element from FF7 Remake barges into the scene and prevents this from happening. <laughs> and this is both a thematic element and a uh, portion of FF7 Remake's own meta plot. Two zones are yours. So... Yeah, I mean, I, I think that like Stranger Paradise represents like the I, represents them going further with it because it's kind it, it's both an a kind of FF1 remake, but it's also like a love letter to the franchise as a whole because there's a whole bunch of areas that are just pulled from other parts of the franchise. I've been watching a friend uh, play the uh, early access version, basically that you got if you uh, bought like some edition of it, but basically. Uh, there's a whole bunch of areas that are just like, oh, this is just a love letter to this area from FF3. There's an area from, like, FF14. Like, there's all sorts of, like, random areas in it that are... And so, like, given that the base game that, like, kind of ties things together, the FF1 plot, is 
almost complete, uh, is, you know, almost blank slate, and the existence of, like, all these, this other fan service, it made sense to have a plot that is kind of, like, goofy intentionally, but is not overt about being goofy intentionally. And so you get a lot of very strange dialogue and very strange setups. Like, the opening of that game is uh, protagonist Jack uh, walking through a field while Frank Sinatra's My Way plays. And then we cut to him reaching Cornelia from... Uh, from... Oh, what you call it? Cornelia from FF1 to go meet the king. He meets up with two of his fellow light warriors who both uh, see him and are like, you want to kill chaos, don't you? And he's like, yes, yes, I do want to kill chaos. And then uh, they all show their like uh, very perplexingly dark uh, light warrior crystals and then fist bump over their mutual desire to kill chaos. And almost a seemingly <laughs> instinctual one that none of them seems to fully understand other than they really want to kill Kaya. Uh There is the point uh, where uh, a character points out that chaos might not be a literal thing and might just be like a metaphorical thing that we're all pinning our hopes that one day we can just sort of kill evil itself. And then Jack responds with bullshit and leaves. <laughs> And then uh, later they do find evidence that chaos is like a real thing that exists and he gets pumped because, oh, chaos is real and I can kill it. <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, it's it's a silly game. It, it, it knows it's a silly game, but it doesn't feel the need to uh, be constantly winking at you that it knows it's silly. And that makes it much funnier. Uh and that leads into a second question. Isn't it weird that while Strangers evokes a lot of nostalgia for 90s and Ops FF, their humors uh, are just way into parodying 90s extreme culture? And in other words, characters are the FF protagonists as the movie hack and protagonists as the movie hackers is to real hackers. I mean, I think that's kind of what the audience wants, so I don't think it's that weird. Like, there is very much a sense of nostalgia for, like, 90s edgelord content but it's kind of built around the concept that oh you thought you were really shocking and extreme and it's actually kind of adorable at this point <laughs> and so if you made something that was just raw 90s edgelord with no twist it would be tawdry just kind of dull so you have to like lean into the fact that oh yeah it's, it's adorable that you thought that this was extreme at some point. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I don't think it's that weird. I think it's a uh, a confident and correct read of the audience. Any, uh, any other thoughts on this? <laughs> of course, the reviews are all over the place. They're mostly pretty solid, but yeah. Uh, to be honest, I've been avoiding a lot of it, and I just want to go in fresh. Yeah. The, the people fresh. that I've seen, uh, the people I've talked to who have actually played it seem to think quite highly of it. So. Sweet. Well, and considering uh, how like intense playing Elden Ring is, I need something that's a little lighter in between playing that. 
Yeah, I did appreciate the marketing being like, we have difficulty modes, don't feel bad about using those, those are good, those are important. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, Kroll has some quick ones for us. What games had uh, terrible prologues or opening chapters but ended up being great? Not including tutorials because nobody really likes tutorials. <laughs> I'm trying to think, like, of games that have... The, the ones that I can think of are games that just have, like, really poorly paced openings, where it's like, oh, this is really slow, or... Dragon Quest Seven. BC7's hey, hey. in there. Hey, now. There's you reasons for that, damn it. <laughs> there, there are, are reasons, but they aren't good enough. There are reasons why the 3DS version cut down the opening section from okay, four hours to like half an hour. Um. But yeah, uh, DQ7's one. Uh, there are a few Tales games, I would say, like the opening to this is very boring. Uh, uh, Persona games can be kind of slow to start, but I don't think... I've never been impatient at them. Yeah. It's, it never feels like they're wasting my time. Like, that's there's a certain, like, near indescribable sense of, I don't see why you bothered showing me that. <laughs> <laughs> that can happen with a lot of uh, RPG openings. But with yeah. Persona, it's like, it's always setting the stage for what the world looks like when it's not completely, when things haven't gone horribly yeah. wrong. And then you move to what the world looks like now that everything's gone. And you're kind of going to be living in that world for like a uh, hundred hours, so it's just kind of important to get a sense for everything. To make you care. Yeah. But yeah, like some of the Tales games I would pull out as like the opening to this is just ugh, so long. Yeah, um, I'm glad uh, Tales of Arise wasn't really like that. Yeah, Arise has a particularly strong opening by the series yeah. standards. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're action RPGs. You should. <laughs> it's good to get to the action relatively fast. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think, like, uh, of games that I thought were particularly good. I would say, like, it took me a few tries to get through Tales of the Abyss's opening. <laughs> That's so, fair. It's got some some low points and some weird pacing. And it's, it becomes very good. It becomes a very good game, but it takes a while. It takes yeah. some work. No, that's a game where it's like, yeah, I really love this, but I any of the complaints you're going to levy at it, I can't really argue against. It's, it's a flawed game. Hmm. It's just a flawed game that's worth it. Yeah. But, yeah, let's see. Uh, you got any guys in? Well, Other than really DT7, of course. <laughs> really slow opens? Like, just just boring, bad, slow openings that end up being non-indicative of the game itself. I don't know, I don't have to sit through them that long if it's that bad. Yeah, um, that's kind of the issue, is that, like, these kinds of openings are things that tend to turn people away, so it's, it's very rare that, like, unless you're committed to the game for some other reason, like, you have to review it, you're not gonna run into a lot of people that are just like, 
the opening 10 hours of this sucked. But it got really good afterwards. Uh, I think I, I think a lot about uh, one of the first game reviews I ever read that I thought like this is actually a very good like point about the game, and it was it was a PlayStation Magazine review of Suicoden Three, where they were talking about like how eventually they really got into the game, but when they realized that they had really gotten into the game, they looked at how much time was on their clock, and it was like 19 hours and 48 minutes. It's like, how can I, like, honestly recommend this video game that, like, did eventually get its hooks in me that I did really, like, eventually start to like, but it took me 20 hours to get there. In that time, you could play through the entirety of Suicoden 1. You could do a whole bunch of daily chores and still not have, and still have gotten them all done before you had gotten to the part of Suicoden 3 where it gets really good. Like, that's a problem. Uh... But I can't speak for my opinion on that one. I've not actually gotten around to three yet. But one of those things that I think about a lot. I'm calling it. Ten seconds. Uh, but yeah, I, I usually just uh, can think of like this game opened badly, and that was a sign of things to come. Uh, and then Krull also asks for the obverse games that had brilliant opening sequences that failed to stick the landing for the rest of the playthrough. Hmm. Um, Final Fantasy VIII. Yeah, that's a very good one. <laughs> well, the demo of Final Fantasy VIII. Wow. Actual Final Fantasy VIII, when you started, it's like, okay, we're in the... We're gonna walk around school for about 20 minutes and then walk through a fire cave and then but the actual like uh galbadia mission yeah i meant the uh, first mission because that's but that's what i remember from the original promos was just the video starting of that. yeah animation. like that's a really strong opening that's clearly like was clearly the demo because it mirrors the reactor mission in ff7 mm-hmm. but yeah like then then the game just like progressively goes off <laughs> The rails over the next forty or so hours. Uh, sorry, I'm a fate. I'm not a fan. Uh, I would say I was really invested in the first handful of hours of Chrono Cross. Mm. Like I think that's one of the ones reasons that that game hurts me. It's like the first handful of hours are really interesting. Like they set up that like this weird uh, being in an alternate dimension where you're dead. It's like a really complicated, uh, fascinating concept. And then the game just completely makes a hash out of everything to do with its plot. And I just, just didn't care anymore. Like the battles of old go. No disagreements here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Trying to think of other ones. Um, I don't like the wild orange map theme in my head. It's gonna drive me nuts. Opponent claims zone A. Wild arms. Yeah, that's a good game. Yeah. Ah, uh, see other ones. Other ones. Uh, 
Uh, Destiny 2. OG. <laughs> uh, gives a really strong impression with its opening campaign, and then it just slowly drains the enjoyment out of you. Someone's but it's it's better now. It's better now. I don't think you can even play that original campaign anymore. But yeah, that was that was a brutal time. Sorry, I'm I'm now listening to the Wild Arms Two map theme. Oh, that's fair. I I was picturing the Wild Arms One opening in my brain. Yeah, the the Wild Arms Two world map theme. I, I think I I hadn't realized how much I liked it until it got stuck in my head recently. I'm like, oh yeah, it's actually just a really good map theme. Underrated but series, I'm a huge music wise. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. No matter what you think of any other part of it, excellent music. Zone uh, Zone advantage is yours. And I believe we have another question in the podcast section before we get uh, anything else. Uh, might as well throw this in. What games have done the best tutorials? What's better? everything up front or drip feeding stuff throughout the game. She's on Blade Chronicles 2 where you are still getting tutorials 80 hours in. And uh, Shitan points out that he hated that too. I, I can understand hating that. I can also totally see why they did it because Blade 2 is really complicated. Yes. If they, if they made you just do all the tutorials in the first five hours, yeah. you're going to get deep into a point of, I have long since forgotten what mechanic no, you're talking no, about. No, Xenoblade Chronicles 2 is a better version of what uh, Final Fantasy XIII was trying to do. Oh, yeah, that's a, that's quite a tutorial. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, this is a complex battle system. We can't... We have to be careful how we present this to you. And, like... The irony is, I, I don't think the like F13's combat system is complex, but I don't think it was complex in the same way, and I don't think they needed to drip feed it that slow. No, yeah, that's that's the thing. Like, because like a lot of F13, you can actually reduce down to set up paradigms and let and let the auto battle do its work. Yeah, like that's what it yeah. expects you to work out. I I remember. A discussion of Final Fantasy XIII where I noted that the most important button on the controller for that game was L2. Yeah, because that's the shift to everyone's paradigm button. Yeah, and it's like, it was really the only, I mean, with the exception of maybe needing to pull out an item, that was about the only button you needed to press in any given battle. Yeah, you just let it auto-battle yeah. uh, from there. I mean, like... there were times where you can't there are times where that's not necessarily the best thing to do, but oh, most of the time, you know, yeah. But it's yeah. when you're facing an adamantoise in the in chapter eleven. That's about yeah. the time where this breaks down. <laughs> yeah, but, but it's yeah. one of those things where, like, for the most part, as long as you explain what every paradigm does, and there's only like six of them, it it you really don't need to. And like, you can tell that they kind of slow rolled it too much by virtue of the fact that like the first handful of battles are literally meaningless you can't yeah. get experience during those no i think they did not give people enough credit that they would be able to figure that out whereas yeah. on the other hand like xenoblade chronicles 2 that battle system is actually quite complex and there's a lot going on in there and i can that, that, see had they just 
shoved like all of it at players at once, I I don't think that would have worked out. It would have well. been a completely impenetrable game. Right. Like, it's it's such a complicated like it's not just that it's complicated because like what's going on in the background of ff13 is relatively complicated but it's also like the game is keeping track of most it most of it for you whereas like xenoblade 2 is slow rolling that so much because it's like there is so much that you are expected to keep track of and like throwing it's like it's throwing more at you to juggle over time yeah and, like, if they had just thrown, like, 19 different items for you to juggle, they yeah. would have just all fallen to the ground immediately. Yeah, no, if they had given you, like, okay, here's three party members, they can all have three blades equipped at once. Here you go, have fun. Uh, people would have uh, gotten screwed up <laughs> trying yeah, to figure that out. It would have just been impossible to work out, like, what the game considers important and what you yeah. need to learn to do, so... I'll be very curious to see how Xenoblade Chronicles 3 ends up. Uh, yeah, I really need to play uh, Torn of the Golden Country before that, too, because I've heard that's refined, yeah, that's the, refined the combat into even more. So I'm curious to see how that plays. Yeah. yeah. As for uh, doing everything up front versus strip feeding, like, it really depends upon how much I need to be able to keep track of all of your intricacies immediately. Yeah. There's, there's plenty of games where it's like, I'll learn it when I learn it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be something, uh, too, uh, managed or, you know, cause like, yeah. like most combat systems are drawing on the same sort of vocabulary. Yeah. Uh, like the the Souls games, I don't think those games. Three minutes. I know there's a lot. Probably... Even if they tutorial those to you, you're not going to get what's actually complicated about the combat. From right. A lot of those games are about experimenting and like trying to figure it out. That's kind of part of the game. So. Mm -hmm. Don't necessarily even <sighs> want any sort of tutorials. Yeah. I was going to say, um, I mean, like the standard for most Gust games at this point is, hey, here's a new mechanic that you might be interested in. Do you actually want to see the tutorial? It's Defaults to no on the answer box. Um, it assumes that you are the product of having played like nine Gust games previously. Yeah. <laughs> Although and, and for... Tale did not. Well, yeah, because uh, that's a game for uh, to draw in people who are fans of Fairy Tale who don't play Gust games. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm speaking like Sophie 2, which... Um, I mean, I actually did look through the tutorials and a few things just to make sh sure I understood how this particular item varied from the others in its set. Mm -hmm. It was important a few times. Um, but, yeah, um, it's just nice that it's like, we acknowledge that you might want to know more about this, but if you don't, you don't have to see it right now. You can check stuff later. Go ahead, knock yourself out. Um, the, the worst tutorials I ever found, though, were with Black Matrix. Hmm. Uh, PlayStation game from Flight Plan. It was a one of their usual. Oh, I've heard of it, but I've never actually seen players. it. Had a really I, I great heavy metal soundtrack. Yeah, it had a really great heavy metal soundtrack that was actually shown with an oscilloscope on the side of the screen. 
and, and which actually uh, varied attack powers depending on where it was in the background music. Huh. Um, and it had a morally inverted society that made Menzo Baranzen from Forgotten Realms seem sane. That's how bad. Gonna have to translate that one for me. I didn't. Uh, Baranzen was realms. the underworld kingdom of the Drow. Ah. Uh. So. Um, oh, Menzo Baranzen. Oh, however you pronounce it. Uh, I can't yeah, even however it's pronounced, I have no idea. I'm guessing. Yeah. In any case, in this game, it will ask you once if you want to read the tutorial, or actually if you want to see the tutorials again after it shows it the first time. And if you accidentally press yes, it will show the explanations for everything every single time you select that option in battle ever after again. No changes. That sounds hellish. It was. I don't like that feels like it must not I can't imagine that being intentional because I don't understand why you would do it that way yeah anyway that was when I was that was back at the time the summer um, my daughter was born I was just going through my entire PlayStation collection to see what was worth trying out later and just what was not and Black Matrix ended up on the sell back to the store stack gee I can't imagine why uh, yeah. Matrix. I forget uh, which one I had I had tried out. Uh, also, welcome, Pam. Uh, yes, hello. Okay, I think we've got more questions from Goring before we move on to the big question file. Mm. Uh. How do you feel about JRPGs blanketing over subgenres like SRPGs and third-person action RPGs included in the mix? For the term JRPG be more pure, it's always been a very vague term to me, so I don't terribly I mean, care. Usually when people, like, people will usually bring up if a game has action combat or is a strategy RPG, and that's really all matter. that matters. And to be honest, JRPG is about as useful as manga as a, yeah. <laughs> as a category. I mean, because in Japan, they don't actually make much of a distinction between nation of origin for the games. They're just all RPGs. This contest will mm -hmm. shape you into something strong. Uh, it's only really the American market that decides to make a distinction, much like the difference between manga and comic books. And... Uh, it's again, what about Gekiga? Nothing, nothing. Yeah, basically, um, JRPG is a is an umbrella term that just describes country of origin, and if you try to make it more specific than that, then you're just beating the horse, I guess. Um, people will sometimes, like, try to... Uh, for a long time, people would also occasionally use the alternative terms like console RPG and computer RPG, but those have long since lost meaning, too. Uh, yeah, like, especially because the, the prototypical concepts of the WRPG and JRPG have long since, like, cross-pollinated quite heavily. Mm -hmm. So, and then of course you'll get like American indie games that like the the term JRPG does not even at this stage refer to games that come from Japan because you will get American indie games that are labeled by both the press and themselves as JRPGs because they follow in like the tradition of Super Nintendo style Japanese produced RPGs. Yeah, I mean the only way you could really say that it makes a distinction is that the earlier American computer RPGs were all very heavily based on 
D&D style storytelling. <laughs> Whereas the Japanese market games were all largely based on anime style storytelling. <laughs> so, so you can make, if you want to say it's a genre at all, it's just like, okay, this game follows the Japanese conventions for plot advancement. <laughs> and then of course and you run into like the, the fact that like original Dragon Quest, which is like the considered the prototypical JRPG is very clearly influenced heavily by early Ultima and Wizardry games. Or the fact that Wizardry is now a Japanese RPG series. Yep. <laughs> and has more Japanese games out than original American series games. Yep. But or hey. that it is actually its own subgenre. Yep. Speaking of, I actually bought the, I bought the Labyrinth of the Lost Souls the other day. Cool. Nice. Ain't good. I don't know. I haven't played it. I've been playing Warrior, <laughs> Warriors Orochi 4. Give it time. Good times. Uh, yeah. Um... I also bought Neptunia for Neptunia. So, yeah. Show them. No Ooh, for I wouldn't have recommended that one. I know you. I don't I, care. I, I know. I know. I got rid of it, though. Of course you did. I disliked it. I didn't like it. <laughs> I still have the original Neptunia. Oh, it's not Karani. a choice I would make. <laughs> Hang out with Karane for me. Mm. Another hunt will come soon. Uh, yeah. Uh, such a weird thing. Like, what can we attach ourselves to? Oh, it's VTubers. But. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I, I'm not too fussed about, like, JRPG is a very uh, broad term that has meant a lot of different things in a lot of different points. Uh, it's like, to a lot really of just. People. Yep. So just uh, tell me uh, if it's secretly a strategy RPG or action RPG, and I'll be good. Uh, not let, us, it's the main genre that? definition. I mean, that's, those are generally the main genre definition to begin with. Yep. Um, Unless it's a Tales game, in which case it'll have some really bizarre, long-winded combination of syllables. Uh. Let's see. Might have to edit around this question just lightly. Uh, but oh god, what is it? Looking at the crazy amount of romance. Uh, mods for Skyrim and Fallout. I wonder why hasn't anyone just made a game about running around and wooing 3D women? Uh, can even not include sex and people still buy it? Uh, everyone on the it's also an entire genre in Japan. Yeah, it's it's more just that Western devs aren't willing to take the plunge on this. But I mean, someone just finally translated uh, Tokimeki Memorial. Wow. I don't know what that is. I'm not sure I want to know what that is. It's a, it's a classic dating or relationship sim game from the Super Famicom period. Uh, yeah, like basic. The hunt has ended. What? I mean, I'm, I'm simple oversimplifying it a lot, but it's very much a narrative structured relationship oriented. Yeah, like it. I, 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 I keep accidentally interrupting you. What are you saying, Ken? No, with no H. Oh, no H. No, no porn. Yeah. Uh, yeah, to okay. Tokimeki Memorial was like 
Konami, one of Konami's big franchises at the time. It was it huge. Several million copies. Uh, I think it got completely obliterated when they tried to jump to 3D on PS2. But yeah, uh, yeah, Tokimeki Memorial. Uh, it's also worth noting, Tokimeki Memorial. When when you say relationships sim, this is to distinguish it from the concept of like just a visual novel with choices. You have to. This is like a scheduling sim that has infected large portions of JRPG. Like, yeah, it's like the prototype for a lot of the stuff that you would find in the later Persona games. In that yeah, like well. you have those kinds of like social stats that you're managing, and you have like a certain amount of time to get a girlfriend and like confess to her under a tree or something. Uh, yeah. And I remember reading some of the more interesting. Um, like little mini games that they had involved with some of the dates. Like, I think it was Tokimeki Memorial 2, where if you took this girl out on a date to the park, it was actually a LARP event. <laughs> so they were doing a Dragon Quest parody for this section of the game. Yeah, like, that's that's or the no, thing Final to always learn. Because your date, your date was dressed as a white mage. <laughs> but, like, that's the thing to always remember about these things is that, like, the ones that people really loved were always beloved for having, like, really strong writing relative to what their subject matter requires. Yes. So, like, Tokimeki Memorial was beloved for, like, oh, these these scenarios are really fun and these characters are very charming. And, like, that's kind of the, the key here of, like... You've seen this kind of thing find its way into uh, a lot of uh, Western-produced RPGs. Uh, especially, like, Bioware kind of made a meal out of it, especially in the late aughts, early tens, uh, to the point where they would, like, sort of hold back on revealing what characters you could actually enter relationships with, and, like, it would be sort of like part of the marketing plan to like to make it clear who that who was available as a romance option, uh, and so you That's end up to gauge audience response to the characters and see okay which ones are we actually going to add on to the end. I'm sure some of them were like uh, it, it, it you know had some extra time put into them to make them uh, romanceable when it became clear to audience members. Uh, really liked them from the pre-release material, but some of them it's like also just like slow rolling it to like, you know, there is a segment they understood at the very least there was a segment of the audience that was very interested in the uh, like romantic entanglings you could get into uh, but no one, no, no one wants to spend a lot of money making just that and the few companies that have tried have produced some true travesties uh, I will never miss an opportunity to mock uh, Brooktown High for PSP. Which was kind of... Brooktown High was kind of... It was a Konami-published game that was kind of their, like, well, how do we make Americans, like, Tokimemo-style dating sim? And the That's answer bad. is... That like, one, Brooktown High is completely goddamn hideous. I, I've ranted about this before. This is a truly disgusting-looking game. <laughs> uh, but the, the other thing is that it's 
not written with any sort of heart, and that's that's kind of the issue you run into, is that for for a very long time, and still to an extent to this day, this kind of game existing is considered by a lot of people to be pathetic. Uh, like, the, this, this kind of thing is either unsimulatable, uh, cringeworthy to attempt to simulate, or just, like, inherently a bad idea. And so you see that infect the way that something like Brooktown High was approached. Everyone is unsympathetic. Everyone is a va like a vapid, tedious high schooler. Like the joke is that everyone is tedious and obnoxious to be around. And it's like, oh well, I you didn't care, and evidently I shouldn't either. But yeah, it's uh. Say what? Like whatever. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, there, there was there was a lot of that. Uh, but yeah, it's like it, a, a fundamental disinterest in the genre means that uh, it's mostly fallen to indie companies who don't have that kind the kind of money to produce like you know games with huge amounts of 3D environments. One of the things that indie companies end up uh, touching on the genre is uh, there there are a number of reasons. Like first of all, that indie companies are often composed of people who uh, you know, ha see things in the market that they would like to exist that no one is making. So you will get a lot of indie companies that will create uh, games that better service this kind of thing, like, uh, say, a Boyfriend Dungeon or a Valhalla or something like that, where they have, like, some degree of, like, like they're taking these... Uh, these concepts and intermixing them with other genres that they enjoy or are, you know, making their own takes on, like, it's, you know, you'll look at something like Valhalla, which is basically a... Uh, it's basically a visual novel, but it's done in such a fashion that you don't actually know what choice you're making. Uh, because, like, the the way... If, if anyone didn't actually play that, Valhalla, uh, more properly, Valhalla... It's like VA-11, whatever. Point is... Uh, Valhalla is like labeled the like cyberpunk bartending simulator, and like it oh, was I basically, yeah, it's a neat game. Like basically, the idea is that it's kind of a, it's got elements of this management sim thing because you're actually managing what your character is doing with their bar pay, but also like it's got a lot of like, you're doing visual novel discussions, but you don't know what uh, what choice you're actually making because. The choice was how drunk did you get this person before you continued the conversation? Which in some like how heavy did you? It's 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 more that they just leave it. Uh, well, one, you're in a cyberpunk world. I don't think they care. But two, uh, they leave it in your hands. Like how hard of a drink to make them, and the, the choice of how hard of a drink to make them will determine. Like sometimes you might have overserved them, and they're just going to pass out. Or sometimes you overserve them, and that means they're much more likely to talk about their personal problems in a way that's more open than if they were still uh, more sober. That sort of thing. It's, it's, you see, indie games tackle these like non uh, the, these different uh, ideas because you know they're they're willing to put themselves out there. Whereas, like a Western company that uh, like a big AAA company that is asked like. We want to make a big 3D game that is strictly a social simulation. Uh, 
there's not a lot of I can't think of a single AAA company that would not want to would not be asking for what's the rest of your pitch, like what is this grafted onto? It's like to those companies, sure you can maybe graft that into like your shooter or uh, like open world game or something, but you wouldn't sell that by itself because we're gonna spend all this money on like 3D, uh, like really. Uh, technically impressive 3D modeling and world building uh, you need to put something else there because it's the same reason that like you know action movie you, you would make a big action movie and then you would tack on a romantic subplot like that's the approach that these companies would take when adding in like relationships, relationship simulation elements like you put in the romantic uh, the romance simulation concept as a way to broaden the appeal of the game. But you would not make uh, the video game equivalent of a romantic comedy because you're in the business of making blockbusters. Or at least that's how I see it. <laughs> Makes sense to me. No one has yet stopped me. Zone C captured. Zone A captured. You have the advantage. Press on. I mean, I'm sure the guy from Stardew Valley would probably, if he had tried to pitch the idea, people laughed at him. I mean, it took a smaller publisher to kind of get him, you know, do it. And then look at him. He made so much money, he was able to buy it back from the publisher. Yeah, like, Stardew Valley is one of those great indie success stories, and that has a lot of relationship elements, because that's, uh, that's a lot of how you get people invested in farming. <laughs> and that, that was part of the part of the game style that it was emulating. Oh, yeah, it, it's huge, and but it's like, it's, it's taking that that step further, because it's an understanding that it's a huge part of that appeal. But, yeah, just one of those things where it's like... Yep, people people like that. <laughs> people people do like that kind of thing, but like no one's willing to take the chance on that uh, first like attempt to really foreground that in the AAA game because no one wants to take a bath on it. Says wouldn't believe the number of Patreon and Kickstarter uh, for uh, porn games. Do you think this vacuum in the market, adult theme games, a lot of demands for no existing developers would be willing to touch continue down the crowdfunding model for long or would new studios be created specifically for this genre well, I mean part, part of the problem being that a lot of like banks and institute monetary institutions that give out loans to big companies kind of steer clear of a lot of material in that style <laughs> yeah like anything to do with like adult material like ends up with even if you could get someone to give you a loan, like suddenly you have issues with like payment processing when you try to sell, because Visa is going to look at it and be like, we don't want to be involved with transactions involving us. And oh boy, that is a that is a whole can of worms. I am not qualified to talk about on this podcast, other than holy shit. But uh, yeah, uh, to to put it simply, uh, the the. And, you know, they, they go into... Fireminer goes into some, like, specific ones that, you know, I won't bring up because we are nominally a family-friendly podcast other than all the goddamn swearing that I do. But, uh... God fucking damn it. 
You rat ass bastards. Yeah. <laughs> One of these days, I'm just gonna attach to the end of the episode that Blink 182 song that's just them swearing for a minute. Should uh, should pull up the the real big fish another fu song. It's <laughs> a good one. What's my age again? No, 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 not like no, an actual no. single. There's there's a song on that album. I forget what the hell the name of it is. That's just them saying a bunch of swears for a minute. Like I feel as, like the, as a song. I feel like the better part of yeah. another fuck you. Oh god. I was going to say Lily Allen. Um, she has this wonderfully cute little um, peppy song, goes dit, kind of plinky song to it, and the entire I mean, half the refrain is just the F word. And yeah. It, it just, it, it's hilarious, and it's like towards the end of the bridge, it's got seven FUs in a row. <laughs> it's just, it's this cute little happy peppy song about how all the haters can literally just go to hell. Uh, yeah, uh, my I think my favorite in this genre of just like uh, screaming fuck for like essentially ninety un uninterrupted seconds is the aforementioned real big fish song, another fu song, uh, which <laughs> starts with the lead singer shouting, "Hey kids, it's time to use the f word." <laughs> Okay, well, and then, then uh, everyone singing fuck in unison and then fuck living fuck dying, fuck laughing, fuck crying fuck cursing, but mostly fuck you <laughs> fuck love, hate, and friends, fuck following trends, fuck this song, can't wait till it ends <laughs> fuck everything, but fuck you the most, fuck everyone, but fuck you the most, with a big rusty polaris wondering post, yeah, fuck you the most, fuck you and then inexplicably, they produced a censored version of the song that just says F every single time. Wow. Okay. Uh, well, that is the most uninterrupted swearing that this uh, podcast has ever seen. In any case, um, let's see. But yeah, I, I think that, you know, you're, you're never going to see uh, a lot of push for the like this this necessarily limits your audience to pc that's like there's no two ways about it not a single one of the extant console manufacturers is going to let any of these things on your on their platform uh it would be expensive to even try never going to happen second of all uh like anything that is ad hoc crowd anything that's ad hoc crowdfunded like like through patreon you're not going to you're going to see a very limited degree of how much organization you can run. Uh, eventually, because, like, you know, a Patreon is paid into someone's account, and suddenly you have to write up... If you wanted to actually turn that into a company, you're going to have to write up a whole bunch of contracts about how that... Uh, how Who has control of the money in that account and how it gets distributed, that sort of thing. A lot of work... Uh, for tax reasons, probably involves organizing a company, may end up violating Patreon's terms of service. I don't actually know what that is. But uh, yeah, as far as like businesses yeah. being run on Patreon donations, like there's all sorts of things say, that would make this. Terms of service subject to change. That's yeah, issue. that's the other thing is that uh, making uh, your living through a platform that might decide to obliterate you at any moment is always terrifying. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, did you did you hear the craziness with OnlyFans last year? Yep. Which was entirely due to the credit card companies deciding that they did not actually want anything to do with a platform like that. Yeah, like that, that's the thing is that like even if and that's, that's the thing that makes these kinds of things dangerous and you know tragically so because it's like you know a lot of people are just trying to make a living out there, but uh, the broader point is that. Even if the platform has nothing but the best intentions, eventually the platform has to interact with the people who give, who process payments. And the people, if the people who process payments say, "Stop doing this shit," the platform does not actually have money. <sighs> There's people behind the money tend to be the most conservative people on the planet, and not in the, necessarily the social sense. Just in the, this is potentially dangerous. I do not want to invest my money in it. Yeah, the uh, the answer, like of course. Hmm? I'm not saying I don't like boobies, but there's a, there's a lot of weird weird people who have way too much money. We'll put it that way. Uh, the the way the way that I would put it is that uh, uh, how to put this. The the old the old phrase is that sex sells, and it's obvious that there is an infinite. Uh, capacity and desire to purchase it, and there are a there is a certain set of people with enough influence to make that a living hell for all, and that is what will eternally keep this as very much a fringe thing, unless and until something in that equation changes. You would basically need a payment processor to say we are willing to shoulder both the like reputational damage and risk of doing this because we think there's enough money there. Everyone wants it. No one wants to actually be involved with indelibly having been uh, connected to having purchased it. Let's see. One thirty-two. Friend recently pointed to me how weird it is that a Fallout game where everything. Uh, uh, a fa that Fallout, a game where everything you does do matters, does not have any actual character development, whereas GTA, where everything you do doesn't really matter, actually has some character. You think this is intentional, or is it just that Fallout allows you to create your own character? I mean, the one time like, that they tried to give your character a backstory, people really fucking hated it. Which one is that? Like we were talking about earlier, Four. the uh, uh, yeah. yeah. Talking about the difference between um, Japan style and American style RPGs, and part of that is the American market was still very much focused on making the player the main character. Yeah. So it's like your decisions directly, whereas the Japanese model is more like here are a bunch of characters and you can inform their decisions to a degree. Yeah. And so all that was the look at why uh, WoW is getting so much hate right now as far as their narrative goes. Mm. And, and of course you run into like the, the, the reason this ends up cropping up in a really off-putting fashion in a lot of these very free uh, freeform RPGs is that any game like this by, by making a game where you can do a lot of different things in order to reduce the combinatorial explosion of doing a lot of different things they just actively dial back the amount that they'll actually let you do. Mm -hmm. uh, like, so it's like, oh, 
you can do a whole lot of things, and that's why this character is going to stop sa saying anything or doing anything after they're done with their quest, because if they do and then you kill them, they don't want to sit there and have to pretend, like, try to find ways around the fact that you just killed the dude. Uh, we are, we have long since left behind the glorious days of Baldur's Gate and Biff the Understudy. Anyone remember that? That was very funny. No. No, Baldur's Gate, what now? There, there was the Understudy in Baldur's Gate. So you had Biff the Understudy in Baldur's Gate. And the idea was that, uh... If an NPC is absent when the game calls for them to recite lines, Biff will appear and say the character's line instead, because he's the understudy. Though he will speak uh, their dialogue, he will not perform any of the character's actions. Should you happen to kill him, there will be no penalty. <laughs> but yeah, ba basically the idea of Biff the understudy in Baldur's Gate was to try to work around this. So like, if you killed someone unexpectedly, they would just have Biff come in and say their lines for them, and then move on. And that's extremely silly, but also kind of incredible. But yeah, um, game, like the the thirst for verisimilitude means that that kind of notion uh, is rarely pursued in modern games because like it's silly and it takes you out of the game in some sense. So developers don't like doing it. Uh, you you saw this in you see this the kind of logic behind this when you look at how uh, something like Mass Effect works. Uh, the Developers do think about this a lot. Uh, I'll bring up an example. So Mass Effect 1 uh, infamously has a segment where two characters are in life or death situations and you have to go and find... You have to pick which one you're going to help who will survive and which one you're going to leave behind die uh, and there is dialogue in the game files from which features both characters talking about how you pulled some shepherd pulled some sort of stunt that kept them both alive and that idea was cut on the basis that they wanted the future games to reflect what had happened in this game. And in order to do that, they needed to make a decision and the about whether it was just going to not be possible for either of them to die, or if both of or, or if you were going to be forced to pick one to survive. Because the basic premise that they came to was if we don't if we leave in the option to save them both, ninety-nine percent of players are going to have to are, are going to save them both. Like that will be the default scenario that everyone does. Problem. That means that we still have to write three scenarios: one where both of them are alive, one where one of them is alive, <laughs> where one of them is alive, and one where the other is alive. But no one's gonna fucking see the ones where only one of them is alive. Save Ashley. What? What? Smoking Joe. <laughs> What? Just it's just a Vermeyer thing. Have gone cold. But yeah, so that that was that was like one of those situations where like this is the thought process that undergirds this sort of decision making. You have to just ultimately decide 
this doesn't matter enough. There, there is not enough call for this. Uh, so, just like, just we, we've cut this because we do not. We we need to we need to make we need to plan to make a game we can make is ultimately what you end up with. It has to be something you can actually finish. Uh, so yeah, like the the fact that nothing you do matters in Grand Theft Auto outside of the story missions is why characters are allowed to progress as part of the story. Whereas the fact that in games like Fallout, the appeal is supposed to be that everything you do matters means that nothing in the story can matter. Because if the story does something that impugns on what you can do as a player, that's a problem. Also, regarding Fallout, how much do people actually enjoy the post-apocalyptic faux-1950s aesthetic? Maybe it's just because I'm not American, but I'm always quick to find it boring. Uh, I think if Americans ever liked it, I think we we're all very disenchanted with it at this point. Be vigilant. But I think we've actually ranted about this in the intervening time since this question was asked, because I definitely remember bringing up when we were discussing the Outer Worlds how much I appreciated that it's like, oh, thank God it's not more of this fucking, haha, the 50s. It's this bizarre combination of the late... 19th century Gilded Age and Eastern Soviet bloc and something else. Weird. Yeah. But, you know, it represents a slightly more contemporary anxiety as well. So. Hold on, I got some comments in my chat. Spoken Joe says, kill Rex, and he has been instantly no. banned. Uh, and yeah, Hollywood yeah, sure. says, heck you, Titan. Listen, listen, Hollywood, okay? I played like a thousand hours of Warlock in Destiny 1. I have to spend some time with the other classes. Just let me be. I killed Rex. What? Banned. <laughs> Instant ban. Okay. The first playthrough I did, I did not kill him. I okay. love his character. Okay, good. But, good. to maximize Mass Effect 3, you actually have to kill him. Banned. Okay, moving on. Which is Sid. <laughs> yes. I have no idea how that's maximizing. He gives a pass out. I don't see a shotgun or sliding. I don't use shotguns in Destiny. Get from killing him actually equals more. However, having the Destiny Ascension destroyed actually gives you more war assets from the um, the Earth fleet than having the Destiny Ascension by itself. Huh. Weird. Oh well. Uh, maximizing that, honestly, is not that important anyway. Um, it's generally pretty easy if you're just being thorough to get more assets to a level where it's not going to matter. Also, the ending you'll get will be disappointing anyway. I'm being told... Hold on, hold on. Hold on. Uh, I'm being told because I don't slide and use a shotgun as a titan, I should be a different class in Destiny. To which I say, Titans have layers, you know? They're like an onion. You know? Not everyone You're not has... doing this whole bit, I'm not letting. <laughs> Fine, alright, alright, carry on. <laughs> carry on. Honestly, every ending of, of Mass Effect is just a really bad ending. There there, is no there, there's, barely a, they, there's barely any difference between them, that's the problem. Exactly. 
they finally couldn't keep the plate spinning and they all crashed on the floor. But uh, I mean, it was a wonderful idea allowing players to have all those options. But in the end, if they try, you have to, to have an it, ending. You have to have an ending. And the problem is trying to make individualized endings based on every single little decision was a bad idea. Yeah, by all appearances, they had to cut the endings way back over the corner to get the game out for end of EA's fiscal year in 2012, which is why uh, they made a lot of references to endings that are evidently cut, especially uh, the reference to the ending where just humanity is completely obliterated was not in the original game. And in fact, the only way to get it was added in the... Uh, was added in the extended cut, where if you either shot at the one giving you the choice between endings or just turned away and left, you would just see humanity, you would just hear that humanity had been destroyed. Um, but yeah, it was one of those things where clearly a lot of, uh, a lot was having, was forcibly left on the cutting room. Yeah. Unlike uh, Dragon Age, which worked because each one had its own individual. They, they were modular endings. Yeah, and, and that worked a lot better because they could better tune for those modular endings than Mass Effect could, because Mass Effect literally spanned all three games. Yeah, and then of course, like, Dragon Age still ended up having to overwrite certain aspects of the ending in case you uh, picked an ending that did not involve you successfully surviving. But... Yeah. Uh, By the way, I'm being called out for my my assertion that Titans have layers because they do not. Very, I, I would just like you to point out that you might as well be speaking in other languages. They're very punchy, punchy, tanky, tanky. You know? I'll take your words. Uh, and now, someone who is <laughs> go to bed. <laughs> it's not even two o'clock. Fuck it. <laughs> Never mind, moving on. For someone who has lived through the 2000s in both real life and through Final Fantasy Kingdom Hearts World End with you, have Nomura's character designs back then aged badly? Eh, I would honestly say that the fact that there aren't a lot of imitations of those designs anymore means they've kind of aged better. They're more distinctive now that no one's really imitating them. Help me, I'm being trolled in my own chat. <laughs> I think that's called being a streamer. I guess. My sister says, uh, it's past your bedtime, sir. You have like 20 children to take care of. I mean, probably. <laughs> uh, but yeah, my, my personal opinion would be, eh, most of Nomura's designs have probably honestly aged into yeah. being better just because there's less imitation of that style anymore. Yeah. But I think I'm the only one that has like a really strong opinion on this. <laughs> <laughs> And Wheels is busy uh, getting trolled. So. Yes, that's true. But, um, but it's all it's all fair game because I troll my sister whenever she streams, so I can't I cannot complain. Uh, here's one that's uh, layers of uh, game here. One thirty-five. What is the most egregious example of a new game failing at something an old game already succeeded? At? succeeded at. My most recent example is Balan Wonderworld, which failed where Kid Chameleon succeeded the costumes. And Kid Chameleon isn't even an exceptionally good game. Nope, it's quite mediocre. Also, it's 100 levels long and has no passwords. Uh, 
Yeah. That's not something I want to hear. Yeah. Kid Chameleon. Kid Chameleon's strongest uh, bit is the opening, where uh, it declares that Kid Chameleon is too tough to beat, and then it has like a five-frame animation of him removing a leather jacket. <laughs> it's uh, it's very 1992. Uh, but yeah. Um, i think of... Games that are just obvious, like ground level failures, it's something that should already have been well understood. Uh, Corned beef and cabbage, no fair. Well, Wales is uh, dead to dead of the brain. Uh, You're dead of the. I got nothing. <laughs> Do you know what dead of the brain is, Wales? Yes. Yes, I'll tell you exactly what it is. Do you want to know how I know I'm dead of the brain? Let me tell you. You don't know what dead of the brain is. No, okay, here, let me tell you this story. So, uh, very recently, uh, the soundtrack for Persona 5 Strikers went for, up for pre-order on Amazon. Uh, you accidentally somehow ended up with a soundtrack for dead of the brain. No, 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 no. Let me finish the story, <laughs> and you will agree, Okay. Uh, so, uh, I purchased the soundtrack because you legally downloaded it and felt bad. Um, and upon receiving it today, I remembered, wait a second, didn't I already do this and go look over to my Persona stuff and pull out the collector's edition of Persona 5 Strikers from Japan I had ordered a year ago that includes the soundtrack because I had felt bad about illegally downloading the soundtrack. What is wrong with you? <laughs> he just really loves Persona 5. I don't blame him, but, like, I try to keep track of the things I already bought. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> like, so, that's the problem. Well, the good news is I can just return it, so it doesn't really matter, but, yeah, that happened. For the record, Wheels, Dead of the Brain is a Japanese adventure game notable for being, as I recall, maybe the last, like, a remake of it. It's like the last PC Engine game. Oh, Jesus. Wow. Let me double check that, but I am fairly certain that, like, Dead of the Brain 1 and 2 Why is someone... Is, like... Why... <laughs> Anthem is what? being brought up in my chat again, and I, I can't because remember. they're trolling you, Wills. But th was that like an answer to what? What the hell did we just? Oh, something that a new game that it fails was a ground some... level failure to yeah. understand what yes. should have been well known at that point. Yeah, yeah, I mean, but it was. I, I, I'm counting. I'm not counting that because, like, the the intention of the question seems like to be. From people who should have known better. Bioware had never made a game like that, and they should have known better, but at the same time, they didn't, and I guess they had never made a game like that. Yeah, I, I have a good one. I have a really good mm -hmm. one. Do you, do you know yeah. what I'm going to answer to this? Oh, it's, no. It's a, recent, it's a recent release. It's a very, very recent release. I'm blanking. What are you about to bring up? Horizon Forbidden West. Oh, God. <laughs> wow. This going to pile on Shut <laughs> fired. <laughs> also, I looked it up. Dead of the Brain 1 and 2 is, in fact, the last PC official PC Engine CD game. I believe huh. it's like a 1998 release. <laughs> Jesus. But, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, damn. Shots fired. <laughs>
it's an open world game that fails at things open world games have have fixed a few years ago. So, you know. It fixed basically right around the time its predecessor came out. Yep. Well, let's see. What if we steal the glider for Breath of the Wild, but don't learn any of the lessons it taught us about open world game design? Whoops. Uh, and now there's there's the various like debates going on among the development community about whether Elden Ring's user experience is good or not. It's like actually there's something to be said for not crowding the map out with shit that I don't. You need, what you put on the map needs to be things I need to care about. Once you've put everything on the map, I don't know what to care about anymore and I get bored. See, my take is... Is... Put, like, I have no issue that it's on the map, but allow me to discover it for the map. That's my yeah. issue with, like, the Assassin's Creed and Far Cry, is they put everything on the map, and... They basically They're afraid of you not seeing content, but it's like, no, I like when you put it all on the map, one, suddenly I have to like sift through a dozen filters to turn off all these goddamn feathers or whatever. And two, like, I don't have any sense of discovery. Now they're just a checklist. Yeah. Well, it's, as a good example, Far Cry. Far Cry tells you where every single goddamn animal you meet is on the map <laughs> before you actually go there. To f discover it for yourself. No alarms and no surprises, please. So it's like, oh, I can find bears over there. I need to go hunt bears. It's like, no, let me discover that there are bears over there as I get mauled by a bear. That's what they need to do. <laughs> Just jotting down, have Tam get mauled by a bear. If you do enjoy getting mauled by bears, though, Elden Ring is the game for you. I do own it. <laughs> I haven't uh, even installed it yet. You should. No, think of all the bear maulings you're missing out on. You should. It's I, probably I, game of the year. Pending a uh, bunch of RPGs. Pending a bunch of RPGs, because we do have the uh, prequel to Aiden Chronicle coming out this year. Oh, yeah, Aiden Chronicle Rising. Yep, yep. That, that They showed off a 28-minute video on that. Yeah, I think that was part of the ID at Xbox. I need to watch that. Hold, hold on here. Hold on. Hold on. I have to call out Smoke and Joe here. Elden Ring had meaningful optional content. Breath of the Wild. Oh, another shrine. Whoop-de-doo. Uh, uh gives you the stuff to increase your health and or stamina. Those are incredibly important and meaningful. Also, a lot of them are very unique and fun. So. Yes. So I, I thought, you I are thought wrong. the idea of shrines was stupid. I just so I agree with Smoke and Joe. Okay, you're banned. Everyone's banned. <laughs> wow. I'm not wow, banned. Banned twice in one night. Go me. Blocked, blocked. You're all blocked. None of you are free from sin. Uh, yeah. You're uh, banned. I'm banned. Everyone's banned. Uh, I need an Oprah yeah. gift with her saying, uh, bands for everyone please someone needs no someone just, make that for I'm, me please i'm just gonna keep i'm just gonna keep referencing the uh drill tweet block block you're all blocked now you're free from sin <laughs> especially the version of that that's overlaid onto a chick track so it's jesus saying it nice 
Let me pull that up. Five blocked, you're all blocked. Uh, there we go. Uh, I think my record is banned three times in one day. That sounds about right, Joe. You're approaching uh, breaking that record for sure. Some of these <laughs> takes here. That reminds me. I'll wait till we're done before I mention it. <sighs> I don't know, I'm guessing, but. <laughs> now, there was something from yesterday I, I had to bring up, so. <sighs> it was yesterday. It was a Tuesday. It was a Tuesday. You never get the hang of Tuesdays. What uh, are you, a <laughs> terrible Garfield impression? <laughs> yes. <laughs> were we answering a question? Where, where am I? What are we doing? <laughs> Uh, the last question we had... Wow, I don't even know what the last question we had was now. We have gone all, way off tangent here tonight. Well, that's that's like our... That's, uh, that's our mission statement, really. Mr. Brand Manager, do you remember where we were? Did we lose our remember. Brand Manager? Possibly. Hmm. Oh, did, did we lose David? Oh, yeah, maybe. Hey. Oh, oh, Joe linked the Blink-182 song in the Discord. Oh, yeah, he's gone. Dare I play it? Nah. Must have lost his internet connection. Yeah, I think so. Because uh, Discord's just saying he's on his mobile right now. Oh, Gaijin, that reminds me. I saw an interesting news article I wanted to send your way. Oh, really what? Um, school clothing regulations in Japan. Yeah. Is he back? What about him? I'll just send you the, um, the, the news article. I am, I am hanging in through my phone. Not kind of a long-term position. Uh. Mm. Yeah, I can barely, hold on, I gotta turn you up. I can barely hear you. Yeah, phone. I'm doing what I can. What happened to you? Total internet failure? Uh, I'm getting like DNS errors, I think. Yeah, that's not good. Sounds like my internet connection. You're not even on Cox. Yeah. My right as a person to beat wheels up right now. That's fair. Alright, well, I guess we should wrap this thing up then. Yeah, probably. Okay. All right, oh. people, start doing your um, thingies. What? Oh yeah. So oh yeah. Okay. So yes, the weekly plug for Princesses of the Pizza Parlor available on Kindle and Kindle Unlimited. 
under the pen name Michael Yarimizu, Y-A-R-I-M-I-Z-U, because yay Google. Um, if you enjoy tabletop, tabletop games, if you actually like live um, live play or active play or whatever play sessions, podcasts for um, tabletop games, well, this is the literary format. Um, we have four paperback volumes, or I think, let's see, counting everything altogether, about mm, 12 ebooks. Um, which sounds like a lot, but it's actually cheaper. Uh, well, um, anyway, yes, if you enjoy reading about games or living vicariously through other people's bad dice rolls and or fa um, failed real-life wisdom checks, uh, please check it out. Excellent, excellent. Pam, what you got? Besides a coughing fit. Uh-oh. You can catch me, uh, so, uh, you can catch me here at, uh, twitch.tv slash, or you can catch me live on twitch.tv slash rpgamer, uh, two to three times a week streaming games at the minimum, uh, currently playing through Valkyrie Profile, um, I, you can also catch, um, our Twitter feeds, uh, at, on, uh, RP, at RPGamer, where we post our news, as well as, uh, highlight, uh, some events that may have gone missed from the previous day, and, uh, always welcome for responses there for anything as well. The blockers must die, sister! That's how they cut out here, too. Or were you just done? He's done. Okay. Wheel. Sunday nights on the RP Gamer Twitch for Sunday Night Shigamians, where we play. Recently, it's been me uh, failing horribly at Elden Ring for everyone's amusement, which is any Elden Ring stream, really. Uh, and this Sunday, it's likely going to be some Persona 4 Arena, since we cover that. I can just play an actual fighting game on stream. Instead of having to switch over to my channel. Uh, and you can catch me streaming random stuff on my channel, twitch.tv slash askwheels. And I pinged out. Uh, and what's I gonna say? Uh, we recently passed the two year anniversary of lockdown. So I just wanted to give a special thanks to everyone that listens to the show that gave us a reason to do something to distract ourselves for so long yeah 250 episodes that's terrifying yes when we started this i don't think you had any kids <laughs> that's true how many how old is your oldest uh nine so yes i think you might have had one yeah How old's your second oldest? She is six. Yeah, I think I think we're past six years. Okay, well that's yeah. horrifying. Thank you for all the risk listeners, everyone. That's I, Fire Miner. Uh, thank you for those. Uh, little whoops. Little whoops. Thank you for everyone that often pops up in the chat. Pew, uh, Hollywood, uh, Mega, and his. Uh, Mario Party cheating. Uh, my sister Ratha. 
And you give, us, you give us a reason to keep going. Yeah. Oh, thank you for everyone that makes this show wonderfully entertaining to record. So. Mm. Well, thanks, for, uh, thanks for the continuous support. Uh, there are definitely too many to list, but I promise that I'm thinking through a lot of names and usernames that I recall us uh, getting questions from, and you all mean yeah. you all mean the world to us. But uh, yeah, uh, let's see. But, yeah. Uh, otherwise, I guess see you, Space Cowboys. See ya. Ah. Uh.